Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. We have our fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder, and I am here again with the Rookie of the Year co-host, along mm. with Alyssa Matz, but Amanda D'Angelo. Yes. Do you love this? I love it. It's honestly a bucket list item right here. I feel like this episode is just an excuse to remind people that your job is small groups anyways, <laughs> too. Love it. So Amanda's pretty remarkable herself, so she's our group coordinator. Today's episode is Why Does My Church Insist That I Get Into a Small Group? We are here with pastor, podcaster, author. Um, he and I share connections in the Assemblies of God. What else can I say? Uh, Mr. Alan White. So as we think about this episode, Amanda, before we throw it over to Alan, do you have any thoughts or any comments? Or I'm excited for this one. Um, Alan, I listened to a couple of the podcasts you have done, and I really agree on um, your approach to it and how you um, encourage the congregation to get involved and how you encourage staff to encourage this congregation to get involved. So I'm looking forward to the answers you have, the questions we have for today. Man. Well, very good. Yeah. And I wish I had a name like Amanda D'Angelo, because my name is Alan White, and you can't get more plain or boring than that. <laughs> so, But um, Amanda D'Angelo, that's quite a name. It is. It's my new name. I just got married in May. So it's... Oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Man, well, this is... What a great start. Alan, why don't you uh, get us started? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell your story, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, I'm from Kansas and I live in Kansas, but I had 38 years that I lived other places. So I went to school in Missouri, uh, served a church in Northern California for 15 years. And that's a whole story in itself of started out at uh, 300, senior pastor left. We grew to 85 and almost died. And then we restarted. Uh, but that's when I really got into small groups as our church began to grow. Uh, you know, Rick Warren talks about we need to grow larger and smaller at the same time. So we got to about 250. And people said, I don't know everybody anymore. And we got to about 400 and went to two services. And they said, we can't find the people that we do know. Um, but in my later part of that time, we actually started doing more church-wide campaigns, started more organically forming groups of people inviting their friends instead of just throwing them together, hoping that they would be, become friends or at least they wouldn't fight. We stopped doing that. Um, then I went on to work for a ministry called Life Together, started by Brett Eastman, who had... Uh, I had been the small group pastor at uh, Saddleback and worked for him for a while. Then I went to a church of 6,500 in Greenville, South Carolina area, served there for four years. And then the last 10, 12 years, I've been helping pastors and churches across the country uh, start groups, get connect people into groups, recruit leaders without it being as painful as all of that might sound. Mm. So why don't we start here, Alan, because I, I think this will set us off in a good way. So I want you to think about today and Bible times um, and just look for you to kind of connect the dots because I'm sure some of our listeners, they've heard of this thing called small groups and they're basically saying, so you want me to get into a group with a bunch of strangers in an awkward living room and you're going to tell me that it's going to change my life. So I guess what I'd be curious from you is where do we root that? maybe in the Bible and Christian tradition, and then why do we need it today? Why don't you just walk us through kind of that general timeline so people understand where small groups came from? Yeah, well, and I would say, and people can argue with me, you can argue with me, but the modern Western church barely resembles the church that was, you know, 
written about in the New Testament. We're not even close. And so um, the model that we're familiar with is a large public gathering where we would all sit in rows, we would all be taught. Um, the problem with that is that if, uh, let's say, Elon Musk were to develop a chip that would give us all all of the Bible, all of doctrine and theology, all of practical theology, and would implant that chip in our brain so that we would have all of that knowledge, we wouldn't be any more like Christ than we are right now. So, yes, God gave us, a, you know, left side of the brain and yes god gave us a book and that's not a coincidence but there's so much more to our spiritual growth than just learning or having a worship experience and i'm not taking away from those i don't know if we can call it a paradigm or not x542 talks about how in the early church they met in temple courts and they met house to house but the idea is they met for a large public gathering where they could worship, where they could have teaching together. And then they met house to house, which I think the Greek word there is house. Um, but anyway, um, they, they met in their houses and for a discussion, for accountability, for support, for care, um, for fellowship that we bandy about a lot. Um, but that idea of if I'm in a large room with people, I'm not accountable to anyone. Mm. I show up, I don't show up. And if your church is big enough, nobody even realizes you didn't show up. But when I'm in a group, people notice if I'm there or if I'm not. And when the questions are asked and I want to shy away and not answer them, then, uh, you know, the, the group might call me out on that. But I feel a little more like I could share. But the big part of that is developing the relationship. I'm not a big fan of throwing people together with groups of strangers um, because people are already in groups. They have families. They have coworkers. They have neighbors. They have friends. Uh, they have people that, you know, they go bowling with. They have par fellow parents that they're on the sideline at the soccer practice. We already have people in our lives. So why don't we take the relationships that we're already in and do something intentional about our spiritual growth? Mm. Hmm. So what would you say in light of that is the biggest reservation that you hear often of people stepping into small groups? Oh, well, the big thing they have, they say is I don't have time. And, and yet, the, to me, the thing is that whether they're in a group or whether they're not in a group, they have exactly the same amount of time. So I don't have time does not mean I don't have time. It means this is not a priority to me. And it's not a priority to me because I feel like this is something that's being added onto my life that I don't know if is, is necessary or not. Part of that is the perception that we want everybody to be there for the weekend worship service. And that's a priority and people know to be there or not be there. The small group thing, some people get it, some people don't. Um, most churches don't have more than 30% of their adults connected into groups. So how do we show them? You need a group in order to grow. Everybody has a spiritual next step. I've been a Christian for 50 years this year. And uh, the first seven years, I guess it didn't take, but 50 years this year. And, um, and I could name right off the top of my head half a dozen to a dozen uh, spiritual next steps that I think I need to take. And my wife would add like, you know, two or three dozen more. Um, we all have a spiritual next step. But where's the place where I talk about that? Where's the place where I, I get to know people and they get to know me? Where's the place where I'm around people that love me but who aren't impressed with me? that they will speak the truth in love. They will spur me on to love and good deeds. And when I'm in the crowd, you know, I can hide in the crowd 
And I'm not, again, I'm not poo-pooing the worship service. If you've ever been in a small group and somebody got out the guitar and everybody's staring at the floor very awkwardly singing worship songs, we know a small group is not the best place to do worship. Um, but a Sunday morning service is great for that. So I'm not knocking the Sunday morning service. I'm going on the record. I'm not knocking the Sunday morning service. But as Roy Moran says, pastor from here in Kansas, he said the weekend is a great place to start, but a poor place to finish. Mm. So maybe it's a gathering point, but, and now post COVID people kind of only want to meet with the people that they know where they want to meet with them and when they want to meet with them. And some people are coming to groups before they come to worship. So, um, yeah. So I would say the group is the piece where in order for me to grow, I, I need to have support. I mean, let me ask you this. Did you guys make New Year's resolutions this year? So I actually don't make resolutions. I pick a word for the year. Oh, okay. It's my therapist. Wife. How about you? I have realized that the goals really don't accomplish anything. It's, <laughs> it's more that I think of like, what is God doing in my life and what's the next step I need to take? It's, it's an ongoing thing. I should be participating in my own development. It's not just like, oh, January yeah. hits. Okay. Here are my goals. Yeah. And so you guys are pointing out exactly the thing. You make a resolution. Most people's New Year's resolutions run out of steam somewhere around the six week mark. Yeah. Some people are exceptional, go further. So if you're, if you're a member at a gym and you go in January and you've got to wait to get on a machine, it's like, come on, where would all these people come from? But you wait till about the middle of February, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. Their resolutions have gone by the wayside and there's no waiting. You try to read the Bible through in a year. Same thing about that six-week mark. Where are you six weeks into the Bible? You are in the book of Leviticus. You are reading about infectious skin diseases in the middle of February. Happy Valentine's Day. Right. Um, so we, we have this thing where our, our willpower only gets us so far. So, you know, we have God's word. We have direct instructions. We have this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of a believer. So why is it we have direct instructions from God's word and we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead? And yet in and of myself, I can't change because I'm missing an ingredient. In addition to God's word, in addition to God's power, I've got to have God's people. And so you look at all of practices in the New Testament. Encourage one another daily. Do not give up the first, you know, do not forsake the habit of meeting together. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Be kind and compassionate to one another. All the one another passages. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Nobody likes that one. But the idea is I cannot grow by myself because if I'm only accountable to myself, I'm not accountable. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that's why New Year's resolutions don't work. And that's why people are frustrated. So it's the thing of, I grew up in a church where this is how you knew you were on the right track. Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday night worship, midweek Bible study. And if you had all four of those, that was the path to heaven. Mm. Now, that may sound ridiculous, but every other church has that. Worship on Sunday mornings, serve in some way. We have kind of this expectation but how do we know we're making any progress? How do we measure whether or not we're becoming more like Christ? And those things that are dogging us or the things that we're addicted to, we can't get out of that stuff on our own because if we could, we would already have broken it. So we've got to have other people in order to move forward. And I know that's very uncomfortable for people. 
but it's the pathway to change is to have other people in our lives that we allow in to speak into our lives and that we can talk to. And they're not going to go, you know, call the pastor's office, call the denominational office or whatever to report us. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to walk with you on your, this journey as you're forsaking something or as you're starting something. And if we don't have other people there, you know, we're kind of sunk. So one of the reasons I appreciate Amanda um, is, you know, she's a leader of our young adult ministry and something that that's really difficult. And I don't think this is just a young adult problem. I think this is actually a modern 2022 problem, but I've heard it from young adults is I don't want to get into a small group until I have deep relationships with the people. And what's hard about that is like, I, I think, you know, early on in this episode, I think people can kind of see that, you know, whether you watch Friends, and that's probably a terrible version of small group, that you have all these people that kind of know their problems, but don't really always change, or whether you see a small group, you go, oh, I, I do need people. There's this thought of, I don't know somebody, but I want the benefits of a deep relationship but there's like a whole span in between. So I, I guess for our listeners, and as you talk to a bunch of churches about this idea of small groups, how do you help people kind of bridge that chasm? Because that's a huge chasm. It is. And so I, I prefer to for people to start with other people that they already know, because mm. that's about half the battle. They already know each other. They already like each other. They already have, have journeyed a little bit together. But I mean, people move to the area. They're new to the church. They're new to the community. They've got to start somewhere. So maybe they gather around a topic. And then in the process of you know studying a topic, they develop relationships um, with other people in the group. But then look at other kinds of groups. I mean, I learned this from Carl George, you know, with his metachurch model, the original metachurch model. Um, but the idea of um, you have groups of people serving together, you have groups of people going on mission trips together, you have groups of people, you know, serving in church, serving in the community or a variety of other things. Well, then they've already established those relationships. I, I, I say I got this from Leith Anderson years ago in a book that he wrote about the church in the 21st century back in the 90s. And he says that people are like Legos in that if you look at a Lego, you have all of these dots. I have literally thousands of Legos in my house because one son passed to the next son and added and passed to my nine-year-old son who just bought, you know, spent all of his birthday money on more Legos and wants to go to Lego land this year. Um, you, you don't walk around my house at night with no shoes on because it's, it's, you know, it's brutal. But anyway, he's Leith Anderson said people are like Legos in that a Lego has a dot on it. So let's say your Lego has eight dots on it and the dots represent your capacity for close relationships. And so, um, you know, who would those close relationships be? Well, in the average person, those relationships would be your, your spouse, your close friends, maybe a family member, extended family member, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, maybe somebody you serve with. And so let's imagine that those Legos are all snapped up. So then you say, get into a small group. Where, where's the group supposed to go? So I, I have to forsake spending time with all the people that I'm close with to go spend time with a group of strangers that I may or may not like. Or what about this? What about all those relationships that are snapped up on my Lego? What if that's the small group? Mm -hmm. So I'm not starting at zero. I know some people have to. They move to the area. They've kind of left everybody that they've known. They could do a Zoom group, but, you know, we'll be honest. Zoom groups are, you know, 
not like in-person groups. And I started my first online small group in CompuServe in 1994, um, <laughs> which was a long time ago. And we had a member of the group that came to Christ. and We've been friends for 28 years. But I think that if you can start with the relationships that you have, and it doesn't mean that you have to have 12 people. I mean, most groups are trending six to eight people, but it could be you invite a couple of friends that you like, and they invite a couple more friends, and then you basically got a group of six or eight people. And then you give them something intentional to do about their spiritual growth. Um, so you start there. Uh, because I think the idea of going from the large meeting space into a small group, that's a big jump. I remember back in the Promise Keepers movement in the 90s, um, my dad, who's now 82, they were, they were doing all of these men's you know accountability groups. And he says to me, I, I can't just get together with another guy and spill my guts. I said, I wouldn't recommend that either because, you know, if you spill your guts, he's going to look and say, ooh, guts. Um, <laughs> but you don't start that way. I said, start out doing something you like to do. Go fishing together. And in the course of going fishing together, get to know each other a little bit and then choose to, you know, what you're going to divulge and at what level. I mean, the other thing as far as connecting like that in a group, a lot of it comes down to the leader. I mean, there's an old saying, uh, I heard it originally at Willow, speed of a leader, speed of a team. So if the group is just skimming the surface of, of the curriculum or the discussion, well, the leaders probably not divulged much about themselves. And, is, you know, you're sticking to Sunday school answers. Mm -hmm. But if the leader will open up and share a little more and tell their story, get other people to tell their stories, that, then you're on to something. And then you can begin to share at, at a, deeper, a deeper level and, you know, again, be known and get to know other people and be able to help each other. Um, not everybody is ready for that. And mainly because there's not an expectation that that's what people should do. Mm. And, um, it's something that we need to be modeled. I think the dilemma of modern day discipleship is that we pastors are trying to disciple people when we really have not been discipled very well ourselves. So we're trying to, you know, model something that we never experienced. Mm. And that's a very difficult situation. Yeah. I have a few things to say about that. Um, as the group's coordinator, I oversee the leaders for middle school, or middle school and high school leaders for the student ministry. And um, I had a couple leaders come to me saying the same thing. The students are not opening up. They're not sharing information about their lives. They're not telling us they're, you know, what's going on. And I said, model the way. Answer the questions first and share what your struggle is with this topic. And they said, I can do that. I said, absolutely like you have to show them that you go through struggles as well and then they know not only am i not alone in my struggle but i can trust this person because they're being vulnerable with me too um mm -hmm. so i love that you mentioned that and my story is very similar to the model that you suggest uh, my previous church i started going to my church was set up as like a bible studies and then they switched to small groups so i didn't really know anyone so i jumped into a small group it was a young adult co-ed and i had my f one friend with me that i knew and from that i met another girl who is now one of my closest friends nicole and then heather mm -hmm. and nicole created a, a small group after that one dissolved and they had two more after that just kind of rotating friends and by the end of it before i moved here it was a close group of my friends who we naturally and normally and without trying challenge each other in our faith just by sharing life with each other and it was the most fruitful small group i ever had 
Um, mm-hmm. And now being in Rochester, you know, Nick has a great community here, my husband, and I'm starting a new group and I don't really know anyone, but we're starting off with like social events and just spending time together. And the last one we had, I walked away saying, my goodness, we got vulnerable just going out to dinner together. And I know next time I can go even deeper. So I just appreciate you saying that, Alan, that, you know, start with the people that you know and build a small group from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. And you have to, you know, have to get out of denial. You have to stop hiding. You know, we get into this thing, especially in North America. I think a lot of it has been because of just the evangelism movement that happened in the last half of the last century that we have this notion of having a personal relationship with God. And and the necessity of that was that a lot of people thought that their relationship was connected to membership in their church. Mm. And so, you know, and I think most of us would agree that, you know, um, claiming that as your pathway into heaven and your relationship with God would kind of be saying if you're hanging out in a, in a, a barn and then you were identifying as cow, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> so if you're just in a church, it doesn't make you a Christian. So it's this idea that you need to make a personal decision, a personal connection to Jesus in order to be a saved person. Well, we took this personal idea too far. And so we get to like, you know, James 5.16 that I mentioned earlier, you know, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. You say, well, I, I can't, this is just between me and God. This is my personal relationship with God. And the reality is our relationship with God is personal, but it's not private. Hmm. There's a difference there. I need the personal connection with God, but it's not private. Because, I mean, anybody listening to the podcast, anything that you're stuck on, too much social media, substances, shopping, credit cards, I'll go down the whole line, pornography, you name whatever you're stuck on and you've been desperately pleading to God to help me, save me, rescue me from this. The reason it hasn't happened is that you haven't sat down with another person that's, that, that loves you, but is not impressed with you and said, I have a problem and I need some help. Mm-hmm. And that deception of I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to get out of this, that sort of thing. Um, this, this, the power of sin is in the secret. And as soon as you break the secret, and I tell people, listen, if you're not ready to tell your group, if you're not ready to tell your friend, um, go take an Uber mm. and tell the Uber driver that you're never going to see again. And at least you've told another human being. <laughs> now I've scared out everybody out of getting into small groups because now they feel like they need to divulge their deepest, darkest. And you don't start out that way or nobody else is going to come back. You start out by having fun. You start out by making friends, you making connections you know, challenging yourself that if there are people in the group, you think you have nothing in common with finding out what you have in common. I mean, look at Jesus' small group. He had Matthew, the tax collector, and the Matthew, the tax collector, was in cahoots with the Romans and ripping everybody off, right? Mm-hmm. Then he had Simon the Zealot, and Zealots hated tax collectors. And Jesus said, hey, Matthew, hey, Simon the Zealot, why don't you come join my group? In fact, why don't you two be prayer partners? Now, that might be a little apocryphal. But very different people coming together to learn and to grow. And you look at Jesus' ministry in the gospel. Somebody did a study and discovered that 73% of Jesus' time was spent with the 12. Mm. He could have had a mega church if he wanted to. He would have had to feed them every week. But (laughs) 73% of his time was spent with those 12. And the fact that he spent his time with the 12 is the reason you and I are sitting here talking now and the reason the church is what it is today because of those 12 that he poured himself into. So sometimes we think of big numbers and elaborate and, oh, it needs to be complicated and we need to have lights spinning around and smoke machines and all of that to be ministry. 
Um, you know, the re the reality is it is those close personal relationships, that one-on-one, -on -one, that taking time for each other, that spending time with each other. And, you know, if we took the amount of time we dedicated to our screen time and put that into um, hanging out with people or even saying, hey, I got to go to Home Depot. You want to go down, go Home Depot with me? Well, there, there's no man that's going to resist that invitation. He's, ha he's headed to Home Depot with you. And you can just chat on the way there and the way back. Um, so a long answer to a short question, but I hope that helped. So <clears throat> I want to test something on you. Um, <clears throat> we'll see where it goes, but there, so there's people that tell me that they don't have time, you know, and there's a lot of that. And I think some of our listeners are wrestling with that. I, I don't have time to come on Sunday. I don't have time for a small group. And, you know, I, I barely have time to open the version Bible app. And, you know, I think that that's legitimate and it's how can we help you? And, you know, how can, you know, how can you put up some boundaries as my mental health uh, therapist wife would talk about? I, I also think there's like another group of people that, you know, you, you talked about, you know, I grew up old school, kind of like you did, where, hey, I went to church on Sunday morning, went to church on Sunday night, did Sunday school, did Wednesday. And there was this like, there was almost this, you know, kind of certainty that you could rest in, like, I'm doing enough, so to speak. And I, I guess we're, I think that that can still happen today. So like at Browncroft, like, here's what I'm wrestling with. Like I'm sitting here, we have these four habits um, spend time with God, spend time with others, know and use your gifts and share your faith. That's, that's not like super different than most churches, but you know, basically if you're reading your Bible and praying every day, if you're in a small group, if you're serving and if you're sharing your faith, whether it's at your job and neighborhood, um, like that, that's a lot. And I, I feel like sometimes when I talk to people, it's as if they're looking for this magic bullet or this like super thing. And, and I guess you can push back on this. Like at some level following Jesus is like really boring. And, and I just don't think that we kind of account for that because, you know, when I go to the gym, like, so after we get done recording the episodes today, like it, it is a checkbox. Like, I go to the machines and I, I lift my 20 pounds and ee, ee, you know, but there's a level, <laughs> there's a level of it. That's like boring that I feel like we resist against or we don't see through. So I don't know. I've thrown a lot at you. Have fun with me as kind of the small group. Cause <laughs> I can feel like people say this small group wasn't like life transformational this week. And it's like, if you're batting 300, like you'll probably make the hall of fame and you'll probably spiritually grow. I don't know. Well, I'm a bit of an instigator if you hadn't guessed. Uh -huh. So in any situation that I'm in, I'm going to stir it up and at least I'm going to have fun. Um, but um, no, I think you're right. There's, there's a big place for consistency. I think there's also a big place for rhythm. I mean, the best mm -hmm. I found most churches can do, is they can run small groups between thanks between Labor Day and Thanksgiving in the U.S. Uh, Thanksgiving, I'm sorry, Labor Day and Thanksgiving. Between Thanksgiving and New Year is kind of a small group no man's land. So you do more group life, have a party, um, serve together in some way. And then between the New Year and Memorial Day, you can go pretty strong, maybe take a break in there for spring break. And then between Memorial Day and Labor Day, 
<clears throat> you know, I, I want groups to get together maybe once a month. So you have a little bit of ebb and flow. So when you get down to it, you've got 30 weeks. Um, the other thing is, you know, are the some churches determine, you know, what the group should study, but then giving groups an opportunity maybe to choose a study of something that they're interested in. Um, they need to run it by their pastor first. So they're not choosing something that's like weird or out of line with their church. Um, but I think along those lines, you know, you can have enough variety in it, but I think it is a balance of, you know, group meetings and group life, but a good test of whether your small group is doing well is if the group likes to spend time with each other outside of the meeting times. Because what happens outside of the meeting greatly determines what happens inside the meeting. Mm. And that's why even if the group members are not friends with everybody, they have a few friends and hopefully they all have friends and they're growing and developing friends. But that idea of, are they doing other things? I had a group that they met every Wednesday for a Bible study, but they met every Monday night for Monday night football. And that wasn't so bad. I had a group that uh, we offered an opportunity for people just to gather their friends and do a video-based study. It was easy to use. And <clears throat> this gal came up to the table and she said, well, I meet with fr three friends every Thursday morning at Starbucks. Could we be a group? And I said, well, of course you can. So the strategy is not go hang out at Starbucks and see if you can talk to three people and talk them into being in a group with you. The matter was, who do you already have time with? So when it comes to people's schedules and spiritual growth, um, I'll say two things on this. One is it has a lot to do with progress. It's not add one more thing. It's how are you making progress? Because Jesus didn't say go and make small groups. Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so there's 613 commandments in the Bible. So compared to those 613 commandments, how are you doing? Except Jesus gave us a cheat sheet. Yay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor and yourself. Uh, all the law and the prophets hang on these two, right? So we had a, he gave us two instead of 613. But I even think it's a good self-check to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. And just to sit down and self-evaluate, maybe once a year. Am I more loving today? than I was a year ago? Am I more joyful today than I was a year ago? And go right down the list. Am I making any progress? And maybe make some notes for ourselves, maybe rate ourselves one to five, I don't know, and then check again in a year. Uh, Marcus Buckingham, uh, the author of uh, Strengths Finder, he said the problem with people is that they're just never done. Mm. And so we're, we're continually works in progress and we keep learning things, we keep growing in things. So I think part of it is to say, how are we going? How are we doing? I mean, we look at people's schedules. They're commuters. They work long hours. They have families. They don't have a lot of discretionary time. So what time do they have? And I almost think of the scene from the movie Apollo 13, when they're having to come up with a filter um, for the astronauts. Um, they couldn't run to Home Depot. They had to uh, come up with whatever the astronauts had on board. And then out of that, how could they create this filter that they needed in order to survive the flight and make it back to Earth? So the engineers come into a boardroom and one of them dumps out a box of all of the available things that the astronauts have on the ship. And so out of this, how can we make this filter? So out of people's schedules, what is the available time? What are the, where are the gaps? Where are the meetings that they already have with people? What is any kind of drive? downtime or drive time or anything that they might have that you could put in a spiritual practice or you could put in a small group. I had a leader that called me one day. Her name is Jennifer. 
And she said she took a commuter train every day from Stockton, California to San Jose. And she said, Pastor Allen, you know, the University of Phoenix teaches courses on the train. I said, well, that's interesting, Jennifer. I said, what if you started a small group on the train? And she said, I never thought about that. So she called me back three days later. She said, I've got four people that want to do with a group on the train. She called me back three days after that. She said, I've got nine people. And then she started the group and had four or five more join, got to the point that she filled up an entire section of that commuter train. And so rather than reading the paper and being on their phones and drinking coffee, they gathered and have a, had a Bible study every Tuesday morning on the way to uh, from Stockton to San Jose. And, uh, you know, again, what where are those places? You know, is there a golf foursome? Is there, you know, a group of people that serve together? Um, and even in this, it's like, I'm not against Sunday school classes. I'm not against Bible studies. But is there a way to provide an element of care? Is there a way to allow for some discussion? Is there a way for those groups or classes uh, to serve together and to become a little more group-ish, if you will? Um, if it's hard for 12 people to figure out a schedule, then maybe you look at three or four people that can figure out a schedule. All right. I went all over the place, but you asked me to. So hey, how'd I do? You did great. Mm -hmm. Let me... So I, I want to kind of back up because, you know, the question we're asking, why does my church insist on me getting into a small group? You know, just to kind of recap, what I hear you saying, and I think what Amanda and I would say is, number one, God created you for community. Number two, yes. like, Christianity is not just informational, it's experiential. And you do that in relationships. And that kind of goes to what you're saying about the fruits of the Spirit. So I want you as kind of a small group, you know, czar, expert, however we want to say that. Um, so at Browncroft, we, to start small groups, we use Rooted. There's other uh, different programs that churches use as kind of a, a helpful structure so that people know, hey, I'm joining this group short term. It could turn into something, but at least I, I have that structure. And so whether it's Browncroft or you attend another church and you're saying, hey, I'm open to being part of a small group. Those first five or seven sessions that someone joins a small group, what would you, what practical steps say, hey, I'm just joining a new small group. Maybe I know one or two people. What are some practical steps that you would give to say, hey, this is probably what it looks like. Here's some realistic expectations, but here's some steps you would take. What would you say to that person? Well, I, I would maybe even start out with a group and have the group discuss their expectations. Because otherwise mm. the group is gonna feel a little bit like the blind man and the elephant. You know, that story of, you know, one's feeling the tail and says, it feels like a snake. And the other one's feeling the leg and says, it feels like a trunk of a tree. Well, people come into a group and they're like, well, I thought the group would be more social or I thought the group would serve more. or I thought the group would be more like a Beth Moore Bible study or I thought the group would be more deep accountability. So you get all the expectations out there. And then as a group, you decide you know, what you want to do. Now, I'm I'm old school. I think a group should be based on a Bible study. So, I mean, if you're doing Oprah's book club or something, I think that's just, you know, as far as the church goes, that's a waste of time. Um, but you, you get you a small group. On... You get a small group. You get a Bible. Wait, I don't know. <laughs> so we don't, we don't want them, you know, studying Deepak Chopra and learning how to be a good Hindu. Uh, we want to stick with the Bible. Um, but I think a lot of the expectation, I, th I think there's a variety that can be there for the group and what they expect the group to do and how the group, they expect the group to be. One of the big things, and this is brought out and rooted, is that everybody in the group, starting with the leader, would share their story. Mm 
Because if you don't understand someone's story, when they answer a question, you don't understand the context of what the, of their answer. If you understand their story, then you understand why they answered the way they did. If you don't understand their story, um, then you're not really sure, or you interpret it, you know, um, is it saying John Maxwell talks about, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be able to understand somebody else's story and give them the ability. Now, we, we might not get the whole story the first time around, but hopefully we'll be around for a while. And again, as the leader shares, whatever the leader divulges to that level, then you're going to get that with members of the group. But as you understand each other's story, well, we're developing relationships, we're understanding each other, um, but also um, we're going to gel a little more as a group. That we had, and, and there are always ups and downs in groups. You know, there's there are times that we don't agree on everything, and that's okay. Um, but at least we go in understanding what the group is going to be about. And you may have more than one definition for a group in a church. Um, it just depends on you know what they want to do. I, I'm one that if there's any kind of group already existing, um, I pretty much leave those alone. Um, practically speaking, because you already have them. Uh, to go after the the ones that aren't in a group. But for the ones that aren't in a group, you certainly want to celebrate the benefits of being in a group, of somebody's gone through an experience and this is how the group cared for me, this is how the group supported me, of going in and, and sitting down and somebody says, how's your day? And you could just share from that point of your story forward because they understand the previous part of your story and they don't have to start from the very beginning. Or you you know somebody walks into the room and you just know by the look on their face that they're either overjoyed or they're you know the opposite of that um, because you know them and you could read them and, and the big thing is just spending spending time together just having that consistent time so to go in to think okay well this is going to be a perfect custom designed group for me that I'm going to love and I'm going to love all the people there and it's going to meet all of my needs um, you know as, as a pastor I would have to say well you, you need to get over yourself. Um, because sometimes it's the people that are different. Sometimes it's the people that are opposite um, that help us. You know, sometimes I pray, I say, Lord, why did you put this person in my group? Because, you know, we talk about difficult people in groups. We call them an EGR, extra grace required. Well, I'll be honest. I'm, on, I'm comfortable only being in a group where I am the EGR. So, you know, and there, there was a there was a guy that came to our group. He was an older guy. He came to my men's group. We met at lunch every Wednesday. And uh, we'll call him Jerry because that was his name. And uh, so Jerry comes to our group. Jerry's already in another group. And for some reason, I was a little grumpy about Jerry being in my group. I thought, why is Jerry coming to my group? He's already in another group. I don't understand why he wants to be in my group. I mean, he didn't detract from the discussion. It wasn't a negative in any way. I just didn't understand why he was there. And one day after the meeting, we were walking out of the restaurant, just Jerry and I. And he said, how are you doing? And I was going through some stuff. And I told him how I was doing and I got in the car and the Lord spoke to me and said, see, dummy, Jerry is in your group for you. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, but anyway, we have, you know, people that are different from us, people that bring different things, people that, you know, we serve in different ways and we learn from in different ways. Um, and even the one that seems difficult, it's like another John Maxwell saying, he says, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> the story of our lives. So Alan, <laughs> what would you say to someone who, you know, says, all right, I'm committed to this. I'm going to try a group or I'm going to try to get people together. Uh, even people that I know, or if I'm new to the area, I'm going to just trust my church and to pick out a group for me and I'm going to jump in and it's not going well. What would you say to that person? 
I would say stick it out through the end of the study, through the end of the semester. And um, in the meantime, maybe you've met a couple of friends and there, there's no more noble reason to leave a group than to say, I'm going to go start my own group. Mm-hmm. Um, so start your own group and maybe it could be, a, you could set the tone and the culture be a little more of what you reflect or maybe try another group. Not every group is a good fit. So I think it's good to have on ramps and have off ramps um, for groups if there's other options for people. But I think the other thing, too, that, you know, I've been in groups that, you know, I was the leader. I had to lead. Um, I had to be there. Right. And um, you just stick with it long enough. And uh, then, you know, it it, it, it comes around uh, or you at least gain enough understanding of somebody that, um, you know, they uh, over time, you know, may become a little more friendly or maybe even become a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I've had a ton of experiences in groups, uh, you know, so people wonder what type of classes do you take, you know, at a Bible college? Uh, we love you Valley Forge, as my cup would say. So Alan and I, we share, you know, the assemblies of God, rest in peace, central Bible college, but, uh, I've been outed. There we go. There we go. (laughs) So like, as I kind of think about this conversation, I, I think about, I took a class in college called small groups and I actually had to be in a small group and it was amazing. Um, you know, the, the men that were in that group with me are actually, uh, two of them are still in my life today. Um, and I, I think about how powerful that was that even though we were doing it to get an A, um, you know, we really connected and God kind of can even take your bad motives and sometimes bring it together. But you know, as I think about some of the groups that I'm in right now, I'm in a group that my wife started because she was a youth leader and she served with other youth leaders. And she said, we should get into a group. And I, I, I want to say the group's been meeting for about 17 years. And, you know, I, I think it's been hard because now most of us are in a stage. It's really hard to get together outside a group just because of schedules and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the the health points that I see in our group is whenever there's a crisis, like people make the time and find it. And so even as I think about our group this year, my hope is, is that, you know, we can kind of do a better job of like being here for groups. And one of the things I love about our group, and I I hope that it kind of continues. And I would just say this for people, sometimes it's okay to not do everything all as a group. Sometimes it's even important, and I'm even going to challenge myself this year, hey, can you get together one-on-one with every person in your group? If you did that once a month and you had 12 people, by the end of the year, you've spent one-on-one time. And I think what happens in our group, if you just do the group meeting and you don't know people's stories, you begin to tell yourself stories and make assumptions. And part of the power is when you do something outside of the group, whether that's served Mm -hmm. together I don't like going to Home Depot. If someone invited me to go, I'd still probably go. <laughs> but uh, going back to what you said there, but you know, I, I think even for me, I feel this challenge of cultivating longer-term relationships. You know, there's a beauty and a trust that comes, and I think sometimes we forsake that if we're going group to group or we're not staying long enough or we get bored. Yeah, and I think it really it's the Old Testament uh, concept of his said. Uh, which have you had uh, Tommy Carrera on? We have, yeah. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll let them go back and listen to Tommy's episode because they can understand it a lot more than if I tried to explain it. But it really is that idea of that group of people that accepts you no matter what. I had a recent mm. experience in my life a couple of years ago, um, and I know I know lots of pastors. I know lots of authors just by virtue of the kind of work that God's allowed me to do. Um, but when I was going through that personal circumstance, who I turned to, I, who I reached out to were kind of the four core members of a small group I started 15 years ago mm. because I didn't have to start from the beginning of the story with them. And I reached out to those guys who were in, you know, very different fields. They're godly men. Um, but I'd spend enough time with every week, you know, sitting in a restaurant talking about a Bible study. Um, cause the, the sooner or later, we're all going to go through something where we need some additional support. And obviously, if we have, you know, some we're experiencing some sort of pain in our life, we're very motivated to change because we're willing to do anything we have, anything we could possibly do um, to stop hurting. But one of the things I learned from um, Ken Bishore as I was working with uh, Mariners on some of the rooted stuff um, was that the equivalent motivator to pain is risk mm. to be willing to take a risk. So with rooted, you have a three hour prayer experience and you have, you know, you talk about spiritual strongholds and you do the serve experience and those sorts of things. Um, but experiences in life, I, we used to, uh, when I was in Northern California, we had an emergency homeless shelter October through March. Cause believe it or not, even in California, it gets a little bit cold, at least too cold <laughs> to be sleeping outside. And so the church is all committed to providing a hot meal to the homeless every, every day of the week. So our church picked a day of the week and that, you know, for that whole stretch, uh, every Friday night, I remember one year, uh, we were going to sign up and take a meal. And I had groups sign up together because if I had individuals sign up, I might get six out of 10. But if I had a whole group sign up, I'd get 10 out of 10, right? Mm -hmm. But we had Friday nights, including Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And I thought, well, I know when my group's going to be serving. And <laughs> lo and behold, our group signed up for all of the weeks and my group didn't even get a chance to do it. One of the groups was a group of... Um, all the men in the group were building contractors and all of their wives were wonderful cooks. And so I knew they were going to have an amazing meal. I almost thought about being homeless that night just to get in <laughs> on it. But um, I did not. Um, but one of the guys said, you know, his attitude from the, about the homeless was he had built himself up from nothing. And, you know, he built multi-million dollar homes. And if anybody out there worked hard enough, they could do the same thing. And so they went, they prepared the meal. They had to serve the meal as well. And he's, he's standing there serving the meal, looking these homeless men in the eye. He had a realization that if circumstances hadn't been too much different, he might have been on the other side of that serving line. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a, these people had been in church, you know, for years. They'd had 40 years of Sunday school out of their belt. They were in small group Bible study together. But it was that experience together that bonded them. And after that, um, he found out that there was somebody in the San Francisco Bay area that was converting a building into a homeless shelter, remodeling it. And he started taking his crews off the jobs on Fridays of these multi-million dollar homes, sending them at his expense to San Francisco to renovate this building, to become a homeless shelter. Six months before this man said, if they just work hard and apply themselves, they could, you know, succeed and they wouldn't be homeless anymore. Six months later, because of that one experience, serving food at that homeless shelter. So I think there are things like that, that small groups could do, but I mean, if people could have, you know, sports in common, hobbies in common. Um, you know, if people have children, then encourage them to be in a group where they have their, 
the age of their youngest child is in common. Um, so that there's some connection there. They're talking about the same phases of life, that sort of thing. Um, there are a lot of different ways to connect, but the main thing is give people an opportunity to find their people. And mm -hmm. so whether they get personally invited into a group or whether you have like a group link or a small group fair, um, they can meet a leader face to face because uh, otherwise they sign up for a card and they get placed into a group. It's kind of like setting yourself up on a blind date. Um, but if they meet a leader face to face and sign up for a specific group, at least we've gone from blind dating to speed dating, you know, and so they know <laughs> whose house they're going to. The person knows who's who's coming to their house, that sort of thing. But I think beyond that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't invite you to Home Depot now, Peter, because I know of your dislike. Um, but uh, but I would maybe invite somebody else. But then you have things that you like to do. You could invite, you know, those people. And it could be, you know, going for a walk. It could be let's go out and, you know, have a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever else. Um, but out of the normal, the ordinary things that we do and the things that maybe we do by ourselves, we just invite somebody to come along with us. And we say, hey, I'm going to go over to this place. And I, you know, I got to drive up to, you know, somewhere an hour out of town. Um, what are you doing? You want to go with me and just go because you're driving there anyway. And then just take somebody along with you. And it's kind of the nature of the relationship you see with Jesus and his disciples. They hung out a lot. They ate a lot together. Um, you know, there was some there was teaching involved in there. There was sending out and experiencing ministry and all of that. But um, it was just a matter of wh where do I have time and what are the things that I'm already doing and how can I include other people in that instead of just kind of being singularly focused on I need to accomplish this task. Well, who who might want to join me in this or I need to do this thing on my house or in my yard or, you know, my computer or whatever. Well, who else could maybe help me? Um, but who else might want to hang out? Because we live in a very busy very distracted, very lonely culture. A wise person, uh, my wife said, people have more means of connecting than ever before, and yet they are more disconnected than they've ever been. Mm. And so we get on social media and we think, oh, I'm connected to people because look at all my friends and look at all. And, and yet the reality is social media is kind of a relational placebo. I mean, it's great because I have a, I have 108 first cousins on my dad's side of the family, which that's a whole other story. He grew up in a family of 12 <laughs> wow. children and they multiplied. Well, I keep up with all these cousins on Facebook, but I know my cousins. Um, but sometimes we feel like we get caught up in debates or cat memes or political discussions, which we're not going to change anybody's mind and all these arguments and all of these things that distract us and waste a great deal of time. And we think we're in relationship with people because somebody liked our post or, you know, gave us a heart on our Instagram or, you know, gave us thumbs up or whatever, um, watched our TikTok video, getting tens and tens of views. Um, but the reality is it's not a relationship. It's a distraction. And if we even took the time that we're spending being distracted by these things and just you know, picked up this thing that's always within five feet of us. The average American touches their smartphone 2,700 times a day. Oh my goodness. And we take this and we open up a message and we say, Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I'm praying for you today. And then pray for him. Don't lie. Um, or I've even been so crazy as somebody's birthday pops up, usually on Facebook. And I send them a voice text. And I sing them happy birthday. And they're very surprised that number one, that I could sing and number two, that I did that. Um, 
but I'm not against electronics, but you know, your phone is not your friend. Your phone is a device. Your phone is a tool. But if we can use it to actually connect to real friends and make real friends, um, then I think we've got something. But we talk about being busy. I think we're just a lot of times making excuses that we're wasting a great deal of time uh, that we can maybe invest in other ways. I didn't mean to get so dark and heavy. Well, <laughs> but this is this is what we do in the Why God Why podcast. So. Uh, this time has gone by really fast. So we close every episode uh, with one question. You know, what does Jesus have to say about my church insisting on me getting into small group? Uh, who's going first? Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you, Alan, uh, Amanda and I answer, and then you pick up whatever mess we leave. Does that sound good? Okay. Fair okay. enough. My answer might be easy. Okay. Alan, I think you mentioned so many Bible verses that answer this question already that um, especially the one confess your sins to one another. You know, when we open up and share the things we've gone through, there's just a peace and a freedom that comes from that. Um, so I love that you hit that right away. Um, and something that I love about Christ and looking at his life is that he talked to and healed and taught people as he went through his life. So the people mm -hmm. that were around him were his people. And that's something you've said throughout this time as well, that you know, get together with the people who are already around you and make a small group from them. So that would be my answer. Yeah. And, you know, I thought a lot about first John as you talked about it. And so if you read that book, it talks about, you know, that when you love somebody, the love of God is in you. And, you know, even referring that to light, uh, you know, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor says this a lot that, you know, when you have healthy relationships, when you're in a healthy small group, there's certain things you can't measure. Um, you know, when you have those relationships, there's divorces that don't happen. There's kids that stick into school. There's uh, addictions that don't happen. And, you know, I think for our culture today, sometimes it can feel harsh, but, you know, the reality is we're more lonely than ever and we actually are less risk averse than ever. And we're less willing to put ourselves out there, but in doing so, you'll experience spiritual transformation. You'll also help someone else and you'll get the support we want. So why do churches insist on getting you into a small group? That's the way Jesus changes us. No, I, I completely, I completely agree. Rick Warren says, uh, you know, revealing the feeling is the beginning of healing. Mm. And so that idea of, you know, you think, oh, my marriage is in trouble. And you look around and you say, it doesn't appear that anybody else's marriage is in trouble. And you kind of obsess about that and you, you know, all of these sorts of things. And you start talking to people and start opening up and you find out that everybody's got a struggle. Everybody's got a struggle in some area of their life, their marriage, their parenting with themselves, you know, whatever else. I was worried about something one day and I went to a very good friend of mine. And I said, I'm really worried about this. And I told him what I was worried about. And he looked at me and he said, Alan White, that is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. And I said, thank you. <laughs> oh man well alan you have your own podcast and your own website uh tell people where the best place to find you and follow you is yeah the best place to find me is alanwhite.org so alan a-l-l-e-n white like the color dot org and the podcast is the exponential groups podcast uh which is also part of the luma Vaz network and i'm on you know everywhere you can get your podcast so well, Alan, this is great. Another fellow Assembly of Godder. So, you know, it's great. We're uh, we're going to have to have you back on again. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and with that in mind, at no point in the podcast did I say the reason you should get in a small group is if you love Jesus and you want to go to heaven, you better get in that group. Um, I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, on that note, uh, you can uh, find out great episodes uh, like this one at whygodwhypodcast.com. Click the subscribe button. We'll send you an email each week with the episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.